Welcome to Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payal Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payal lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org. There's a lot of fear going on right now. And some of it is warranted for sure. But some of it is really just based in self-concern. And um, this opportunity, this coronavirus gives us a great opportunity to practice. Um, so I want to talk about that today. Uh, since, you know, these numbers have come out, so many people infected. There's this new disease. It's so scary. You might get it and you, you know, it's um, new things are always very, very scary too. Every time a new disease pops up, it's even scarier than the ones that we're familiar with already. Um, kind of like how flying seems scarier than driving, even though more people die driving. Um, but when we hear about this new illness coming around, our immediate response is fear for ourselves. And we want to we have an urge to protect ourselves. Um, and this goes from everything from hoarding hand sanitizer to outright like racism and violence. There's this whole gamut of fear causing self-protective urges. Um, so instead of responding to the announcement of this illness with rationality and compassion, listening to the advice of the health organizations that are telling us very simple things to do to protect ourselves and others. You know, we spin out and come up with all sorts of other things we could do instead, like hoard toilet paper and hand sanitizer and, you know, uh, N95 masks that the hospital needs. Like, let's just have a whole basement full of those, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and then in some areas, you know, some people are, are really responding to this with, with such fear and aggression that they're actually, you know, there's all sorts of racist memes going on on the internet. Um, there's, you know, Chinese people and other people of Asian descent are facing increasing violence because of this perception that, um, that they are causing the disease or that they are infected somehow with this disease. So this creates this like us and them Dynamic. We have this fear and this urge to self-protect, and then we want to lash out at others and see others as the problem, um, instead of seeing that you know diseases are not racist. They will infect anyone and everyone. They are they are going to treat everyone equally. Um, we are just as likely to get it or to infect others as someone of any other descent. So there's no need to be racist or um, be, you know, just, I don't know, see all these things on the internet about like, you know, these memes, like if it, people, you know, some face of, of uh, you know, be like a picture of someone's face making like a strong reaction and be like that face you make when the Chinese guy on the subway coughs. And it's like, that's, it's not about where this originated. It's not about who has it and who doesn't. This isn't, and this is no reason to create more separations in our society. The only way that we can, as humans, survive these types of obstacles is by banding together and caring for each other. And that's, that's always what has worked for us, and that's what the Buddha has taught, and that's what history has shown us, is that we're able to get through these difficult times when we help each other, and when we, are, when we maintain our rationality, when we don't panic, when we don't give in to fear, and when we instead remember that we're part of one large community and Something like this affects us all. And our response to this shows how attached we are to our bodies. We're really, we're so afraid of contracting an illness because we want our bodies to stay the way they are. We want our bodies to be healthy. We want our bodies to last forever. Um, and we seem to think that if we buy enough hand sanitizer, uh, our bodies will last forever. <laughs> And they won't, though. Um, 
So this gives us a really good opportunity to meditate on that and to be reminded that our bodies don't last forever, that we are frail, we are fragile. At any minute, something can take our body down. We could, any one of us could already have in us some disease or some other you know, imbalance of the body that right now could be, you know, you could be moving towards death and you may not even know it. And this is a really good opportunity for us to remember that and to notice the attachments to our bodies that we feel and how that then morphs into this self-protective mechanism, this fear and this, this protectiveness of ourselves that I will have all the hand sanitizer and I don't care who doesn't get it because I have to have all of it for myself. It's not even a rational response because honestly, it'd be way better if everyone had a bottle of hand sanitizer, we'd be fine, you know, then that would be better. If one person has all 20 bottles, then no one else has it and then they're spreading disease and you're walking around with them. So like, <laughs> just like, don't panic. <laughs> we make stupid decisions when we panic. And again, that goes back to you, we're better off if we all work together. It doesn't work if you just try to protect yourself. You cannot protect only yourself from disease. Disease is something that happens in societies. It happens with multiple people. So you can't just protect yourself. You have to encourage herd immunity. That's why we have vaccines. It's, there's, a, there's a benefit to protecting all of us. We all benefit when we're all protected. Some people don't take this um, illness seriously at all. Some people aren't, you know, I mean, so many people don't take the flu seriously in the first place. Um, when the flu is a very serious illness for a lot of people, for older folks, for people with other underlying health issues, and the flu is around every year, and so many people don't take it seriously and don't bother um, <clears throat> washing their hands or staying home from work if they're sick. People are, you know, would rather go to work and look like they're strong and get their raise and whatever, and then they don't, they don't mind, they just got a whole bunch of coworkers sick. So now we have this new disease that we're bringing in the same habit to of not taking it that seriously. For people who are young and healthy, you might feel like, well, I'm not going to get it. Like, I'm low risk. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get sick. If I got it, it would probably be mild. Um, I get the flu every year, you know, no big deal. Um, recover, it, you know, it, you just kind of, you just think of yourself and you think, I'll be fine. I'll live. I'll be fine, no big deal. Meanwhile, while you're coughing and sneezing, everyone you're around gets to enjoy your sickness too. And then they get to take it home to their families. And how do you know that they'll be fine? You don't know. That's not really your choice to make, whether your coworker is gonna be fine, even though they're going through chemo right now. Or whether your, you know, uh, whether your friends, um, whether your friends are going to get sick and bring it home to their families. You know, it's it's, we just think about ourselves and whether we'll get over it. And we don't think about all of the people that we are coming in contact with who we're making that decision for them too. Of, is it, are, is it okay to expose them to this illness? Yeah, because I'll be fine. But maybe they won't be. So for those of us who are young and healthy, it's actually our response to this illness is what is most likely to change the trajectory of how this illness unfolds in this country. Because if you're at high risk of, you know, having this be a fatality, if you are a, um, if you are a senior citizen or you have other health, health issues, you may take measures to protect yourself, like, you know, staying at home. That would be good. You know, listen to health organizations, stay home if you need to. For those of us who are gonna continue going to work and being out and about in the world, if we just pretend like nothing's happening and we just are like, you know, picking our nose and, and touching things and just, you know, then we're just gonna spread a whole lot of illness around ourselves that then we can bring home to our parents and grandparents who are trying to protect themselves at home. So if it's, we're like the front lines out there, all of us that are not doing social distancing right away, those of us who are gonna be continuing going around and talking with each other, like it's very important that we take steps to not spread illness for the benefit of others. So washing your hands, you know, right now the advice is just wash your hands, don't touch your face, just 
so hard. Um, <laughs> it's really hard. Uh, the method I've been using is um, to, for myself to not touch my face. I'm just pretending like, um, like everything's made of raw chicken. <laughs> the whole world is made of raw chicken as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> So I'm just not wanting to touch anything. And then if I do touch it, I'm like, eee, what did I touch? Um, <laughs> so we know like touching your face, having unwashed hands touching your face, it's how you can infect yourself. You can get illness into your eyes, your nose, your mouth, um, and then you can get sick. Poor you, now you're sick. It's all about you. But it's not. So now you're gonna now you're gonna con be a contaminant for others, and you can spread it to others because you might not know that you're sick right away, and you might still be out and about in the world with your unwashed hands, touching your face, touching other things, and then other people get sick. So washing your hands will protect you from getting sick, not touching your face. These are good things. But washing your hands is also the best way to protect others because then oh, you just picked your nose or whatever. Okay, well, let's not spread this to the other 40 people in the room. Let's wash our hands. That's like a really simple way to, to just protect others from what we can spread. And you think that you'd know, like, oh, if I was sick, I would stay home. And you think that you'll know. You'll know how to protect others. But it's so often that sickness spreads before you show any symptoms. So you don't even know what you're carrying around in the world. You know, if anyone here has ever had mono before, mono is like a great example of this because it has like a month, um, what's called period, before you actually show symptoms. So you usually, you often like don't even know where you got it from. You shared, you shared a drink with someone or, you know, people call it the kissing disease, but it's like, you know, you somehow picked it up like a month ago and then you don't even know who had it. How many people could they have infected while they're walking around and you don't even know? Um, so we can do that too with colds and flus and COVID-19 and whatever else is around. It's very easy for us to spread it and we don't even know what we're putting out in the world. So much like our minds because we really don't know that much about what's in our minds either. And so if we're not aware and we're not taking measures to have good mental hygiene, then we also won't know what we're putting out in the world, the amount of hatred or, or vile speech you're putting out in the world. There's other ways that we, that we do this too, you know, that we, we just go around you know, doing the mental equivalent of picking our nose and smearing it on things. And <laughs> it's gross, you don't need to do that. So instead of thinking of, of just ourselves and protecting ourselves and hoarding our hand sanitizer and buying all the N95 masks that there are to find in the state, um, you know, we can instead think about how can I protect others from the fact that I may be a source of sickness in the community. I could, any one of us right now could be carrying some virus and could be here in this room and not know it. And so how do we protect others? And we can start flipping this script instead of worrying about just worrying about ourselves and our bodies and our health and going inwards with this, this self-protective mechanism. Instead, we can just change our focus and think instead of everything, what is everything that I can do to be a responsible member of this community and to help protect others from illness? What can I do that would help limit you know, the impact that this will have on others in my community. So, people tend to approach meditation the same way they tend to approach um, hand sanitizer in a plague, which is they tend to just want to do it out of self-concern. So, this actually just, Keep going the hand sanitizer thing. One of the things I've been noticing about the hoarding the hand sanitizer <laughs> is that people don't even use it correctly. So you want to have this like basement full of hand sanitizer so that anytime you have this little like fear, like, oh my gosh, someone coughed near me, let me just like rub some hand sanitizer on, and you do it for like two seconds. And then you feel better. 
you're less anxious because you had your little, you know, it's like having, it's like a kid with a little, little bottle, you know, like your pacifier. You had your little hand sanitizer pacifier. You just got to appease your anxiety because you just, you just put some hand sanitizer in your hands real quick. Great. Anxiety appeased, you feel better now. It's not, but that's not what the point of hand sanitizer is. The point of hand sanitizer is not to appease your anxiety. It's supposed to stop the spread of illness. So you have to actually use it correctly and you have to apply it correctly so that you don't pass things on to others. So <clears throat> similarly, people approach meditation from this place of self-concern of, I want to use meditation so that I feel better. Um, you want to protect yourself from your unhappiness and protect yourself from your stress. You want to de-stress, you want to chill out, you want to feel good. Because there's so much out there. There's so much like bad vibes out there and you just want to like protect yourself from that, you know, like chill out. <clears throat> That's not what meditation is about. People often think of meditation as a sleepy, relaxing activity. But the Buddha didn't teach us meditation so that we can take a nap, so that we can just chill out and just roll around in the poop of just kind of like feeling good, just kind of like muck around and like, oh, I feel so nice and relaxed. And it's, um, that's not why the Buddha taught us how to meditate. He taught us to meditate to help us wake up. We're trying to awaken to the truth. Zongsar Jamyang Kensei Rinpoche says, mindfulness is beginning to become a tool to make people free themselves from stress. If you really follow a Buddhist path, you are not supposed to care about whether you are stressed or not. It's the least thing you worry about. That's the least thing you care about. So what do you care about? To get awakened or not? If you're totally stressed, but you're awakened, you're much better off than this relaxed but ignorant person. I would prefer a stressed person who knows the truth. You understand? <clears throat> so our minds are like a muscle. In the same way that we work to keep our body strong, when we take care of our body, we have to take care of our minds. If we don't take care of our minds, our minds go out of control. They control us rather than the other way around. When our minds are agitated and wild and out of control, it's just like a monkey has the wheel in his hands, you know, and this wild monkey is just steering us around. So in order to turn the tables and be in charge of our own mind, we have to strengthen our mind muscles by practicing single-pointed concentration. And when we learn to apply this meditation, then we can direct our minds toward truth without this wild monkey grabbing the wheel and swerving us all over the road. And when we practice meditation, it does have the side effect of being calming. It does have the side effect of reducing our stress. It, reduce, it lowers your blood pressure. It has all of these great benefits. Those are side effects. It's not the reason that you do it. Similarly, like how when you wash your hands, maybe it'll free you of anxiety that you feel better now that you've washed your hands and you know you don't have salmonella on your hands now. You feel better. You're less anxious. But that's not why you washed your hands. You washed your hands because there's salmonella and you want to get rid of it. Or there's the virus or something like that and you want to, have, you know, you are trying to protect yourself and others from this. So the Buddha said that his favorite practice was just gently watching his breath. This is a very simple practice, but it's incredibly powerful. It's beautiful. It's healing. It's something anyone can practice, and you can do it pretty much any time. It helps us to balance our emotions. It creates space in our minds that allows us to see cause and effect. So we're not just reacting to stimuli like a dumb animal, but we can actually have a little bit of space to choose how we want to respond to situations. So it's like a little bit of mental hygiene, you know, in a way. If we are, we're cleaning up our act. We're not just having this wild monkey throwing poop everywhere in our minds. We're like actually directing our ship in the direction that we want it to go. When we watch our breath, we're not engaging with all of our crazy thoughts. We still have thoughts, 
but we don't engage with them. That means not following them down the road. So when you find yourself, when you're meditating and you find yourself following a thought, you just drop it. You don't have to examine it and see if it's a good thought or a bad thought. You don't have to like pick through your trash before you take your trash out. You just return to your breath. You just drop it, return to your breath. When we meditate, our ego does everything it possibly can to keep us from meditating. We'll do its very best to distract you. You'll remember that you left the iron on. You'll have the most brilliant idea you've ever had in your life. <laughs> you know, I mean, you'll, you'll solve world peace. You'll, you'll, it's incredible what will come to your mind during meditation. Um, but the way to handle this is to just disengage. You just dismiss your thoughts and return to your breath. You don't try to suppress your thoughts. You don't tell yourself to, um, to stop thinking or to try to replace your thoughts with blissful thoughts. You just let whatever is there, you just let it be there. And you just kind of like, like a baby, just kind of watch. Like you don't engage with it. You know, babies will just like watch things. They just stare. <laughs> um, so Zongsar Jamyang Kensei Rinpoche says, when you do this, you are starving your habitual patterns. Distraction is what we don't want. Distraction is the fundamental problem. We get distracted all the time, and now we need to work with the distractions. So how do we do it? Let's not feed the distractions. What is the food of distractions? Habitual patterns and habit. How do you do that? by totally not engaging with whatever thought comes. Or at least trying. So a thought comes along and you just see it. You don't react to it. You don't push it away. You don't grab it. You just see it, return your breath. Then the second thought comes. And this is the one that's really dangerous because the second thought that comes, that's the one that's gonna catch you. The first thought that came around, it wasn't as sophisticated. Your brain was just trying one thought, and then, and then you didn't react to it, so the brain's like, oh, I gotta try harder. Okay, okay, let's, let's really throw something, let's, let's really throw a curveball, you know? And then, um, and then that one is like, you're like, oh yeah, I did leave the iron on, and you're gone. Um, <laughs> after a while, you know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll sit through the second thought, third thought, fourth thought, fifth thought, and then you have the most brilliant idea and you're just gone, you know? But it's like your brain, your ego will really ratchet up its game and try to, now that didn't work. Okay, well, let's try the, okay, hope didn't work. Let's try fear. Uh, pride didn't work. Let's try anger. Ooh, I bet you're really angry about this conversation you had earlier, aren't you? Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> the thoughts love our attention. They love our attention. They love our attention when we grab the thoughts. They love the attention when we reject the thought. They just want the reaction. They love it. It's what feeds them. It recharges their batteries. So every time like these thoughts come and you grab it or you push it away or you somehow react to it, you are just recharging the batteries of those thoughts. They come back stronger. We can't underestimate our thoughts. They really, they have such a good strategy. Their way of just like trying this, trying that, like excellent strategy. So we have to just be very committed to just returning to our breath and don't underestimate how, just how wily our thoughts will be. Our dualistic minds are constantly ping-ponging between hope and fear, hope and fear, hope and fear. And so when we meditate, what happens? Zongsar Jamyang Kensei Rinpoche says, the organization of the thoughts gets weaker. The habitual patterns become weaker, 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 and then hope and fear, exaggerations, underestimation, all of this becomes weaker. And when that happens, a big shift happens to you. A shift meaning things that used to be such a big deal are not a big deal anymore. You understand things that really excited you before 
Not so much. Things that, makes you, that make you really angry? Not so much. Things that make you really agitated? Not so much. So this calming and stabilizing the mind is so important. There's a reason that the Buddha taught this first, calming and stabilizing the mind. He taught the practice of meditation. Again, not so that we can just chill out and not be stressed, but because calming and stabilizing the mind creates a foundation for compassion. Sokini Rinpoche says, without calmness of mind, it is very hard to have a sense of delight. Without this sense of delight, there's no genuine compassion. If we are totally preoccupied with our own experience, how I feel, what my problem is, and so forth, there's no chance at all for us to care about how others feel. There's simply no room for compassion. And he continues, having reached a certain peace, we are able to come closer to making all sentient beings feel at ease with loving kindness and helping them be free of suffering through compassion. So let's try this. Let's try five minutes of meditation. And this is, and we're going to see how doing this with understanding that we're not doing this just so that we can chill out and relax, but we're doing this so that we can create a stable base in our minds for compassion to arise. Doing that, you might notice that it changes your experience of the meditation. You might notice that this is a different kind of meditation than the meditation that you do when you're just trying to chill out. So all we're going to do is watch our breath. Um, you can do this meditation with a flower or a candle or an image of the Buddha uh, as your object of concentration. But today we're going to be concentrating on our breath. So uh, sit comfortably with your back straight. And you can sit cross-legged or if you're in a chair, you can sit in a chair. But it's important to have a back, your back straight because it, it keeps your your channels and winds in alignment. And essentially, the winds in our body, the energies in our body are like a wild horse that our minds are riding. So our minds are riding around on this wild horse. And we can stabilize our body. We stabilize the wind some. And then it's a little bit easier to ride that horse. So, um, so we stabilize the body. We focus on the breath. You can place your hands in your lap or just on your knees, but either way, we're just going to have an open chest, extend your shoulders out. So you're not slouching, you're not contracting into yourself. Just open and relaxed. We're not cutting ourselves off from the world in any way because our objective is not to separate ourselves from others. Our objective is to just focus on the present moment. And again, this allows us to open to others. So we are allowing ourselves to stay open. Our eyes stay open, our ears stay open. Continue to breathe. You can gently press the tip of your tongue against the roof of your mouth. And the mouth is slightly open. And you can breathe either through your nose or your mouth. Um, and we're just gonna keep our attention on our breath. I'm gonna just start a short timer. We'll just go for five minutes. So don't try to control your breath at all. Just breathe naturally and put the most gossamer thin attention on your breath. It's like taking your pulse. You don't put any pressure on it. You just observe it. Your attention is like a down feather, just gently riding on the surface of your breath.
exciting, right? Sitting silently on a cushion, so exciting. I'm, it really surprises me sometimes that meditation is as popular as it is these days because it just seems like <laughs> it's a really boring thing to do. It's great for you. It's just, uh, it's not like, I don't know, hang gliding or something. It's <laughs> It's really, I mean, meditation is boring. Your mind wants you to cut it out and do something more entertaining. And like pretty much the whole time your mind's trying to convince you that there's something better you could be doing with your time. <laughs> there are phone calls to make. There are conversations from, the, from earlier today or the week to like rehash in your mind. There's, um, you know, there's Netflix shows to watch. There's, uh, I don't know, there's houses to shop for on Zillow. There's like, there's so much you could be doing right now. <laughs> like, why are you sitting still meditating? Um, it's so, uh, there's so much just natural resistance to the boredom of sitting with ourselves, sitting with our breath sitting with this moment. It's, um, it's incredibly boring, and it's great, because it just it starves that habitual pattern of seeking entertainment, seeking excitement, seeking something that will, you know, just it, something that makes me feel good. You know, it just it starves that. Um, I'm just not giving into it, coming back to the breath. Sometimes people want to meditate because it's exotic, and they want to show off their malas and meditate in a very showy public way. And uh, so others know like, that they're super cool or wise or whatever. Um, I might want to you know, get all of the esoteric ritual items and put them out in their house and like, show people their special things. And um, I think a lot of people are drawn to these esoteric practices because they've watched too much Harry Potter. <laughs> I think a lot of people just want to live at Hogwarts and like play with their magic wands and like chant spells and incantations. Um, they learn, they want, you know, the, what is it? The, the dark arts, like the, what is it? Defense, the defense of the dark arts, I think, was the class that Snape taught. Um, yeah, so you want to learn all these like mantras and mudras and buy these like crazy looking ritual items and. Um, and then you can have this like pompous air about you because you were accepted to Hogwarts and these muggles weren't, you know? <laughs> you can be super special with all your, all your special stuff. <laughs> Being special is not why we meditate. It's not. It's pretty much the opposite of why we meditate. Um, but I know... Some of us really want to be special. We really want to play with fancy mudras. So uh, I thought today I would teach you the supreme esoteric method of the mudra of long life. This is really going to impress your friends, so pay attention. <laughs> I have a handout here. If I could have some people hand these out. This is um, this mudra wards off illness and disease. It protects and extends the lives of you and those you interact with. It's a very powerful practice. <laughs> to do this practice, you must first gather the necessary items, soap and water, running water. For those of you watching online, you can uh, look up World Health Organization, how to wash your hands. You'll get the image. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is, this is really like a self-secret practice because there are posters of this in every bathroom across the country, and yet most people do not know how to do this. <laughs> so we keep this a secret from ourselves by our own disinterest in this very important life-extending practice.
So to do this, you need your running water and soap. And um, you don't want to use stagnant water. If you don't have these, you can use hand sanitizer. But despite the rush on hand sanitizer, soap and water is better. <laughs> so we're going to. So we're going to practice this. Okay. So everyone, you've got your you've got your water on. You've put your hands under the water. Yeah. <laughs> you get your soap. And you rub your hands together. And you do a little circle with one palm. And you do a little circle with the other palm. And then you do this weird thing with your hands like that. <laughs> and then you do it on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and then you rub, and then palm to palm, you rub your fingers together like that. And then you do this, this very special thumb rotation. Very special. And then the other side, very special thumb rotation. And then the hidden, hidden uh, really secret move here is if you're wearing rings, you're also going to rub around where your rings are. Make sure you get under those. Then you're going to do a little bit of scratching. You just kind of put your fingers together. You do a little scratch in your palm. You do a little scratch in this palm. Do you know why you do that? It gets the soap under your fingernails. It helps to clean out under your fingernails. Very important step. All right. Now rinse it under the water. And then don't touch the faucet when you turn off the water. And then you dry your hands. And now you can help others without infecting them with sickness. It's really great. Now you can confidently outstretch your hands to help others, and you won't hurt them. <laughs> so this is, where, this is where the rubber meets the road. We want to be special meditators because we want to be you know, I'm like all about helping others and like, it's just like so important to just like be peaceful and like help others like the Dalai Lama says. And like, it's really easy to have that kind of like to spurt, you know, spew that out of your mouth. But then you go to the bathroom and you're in such a rush, you're so self-obsessed, you have a phone call to get to or a meeting or you're like the commercial's almost over on your show. So you don't wash your hands. And it's, you know, our practice is to benefit others. So this is like a really simple, concrete way that you can benefit others in your daily life. And you can practice that, you know, just like when we're meditating, all these thoughts want us to react to them. They want us to go do this other thing. Isn't there something better you could be doing than watching your breath right now? Similarly, isn't there something better you could be doing than washing your hands right now? It's the exact same mechanism that happens in your mind. You go to wash your hands, then you're like, well, this is boring. Done. <laughs> so <laughs> we can do better than that. It takes 20 seconds. 20 seconds. You can hang in there for 20 seconds. The real work of the spiritual path is rarely glamorous. It rarely makes you someone special. It, it's usually pretty mundane, like sweeping the prayer room floor and like cleaning off your statues and sitting and meditating and watching your breath and getting distracted again and again and again and just returning to your breath and getting really bored with it, but still returning to your breath. Like, it's not glamorous, but that's what the work is. You know, it's not stuff that actually does make you be special and cool out in the world. It's pretty basic stuff. Wash your hands. <laughs> and I say, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So before enlightenment, wash hands with soap and water. After enlightenment, wash hands with soap and water. <laughs> we really don't, you know, there's so many reasons why we don't wash our hands well in the first place. And I think it really, it's, boredom is a big part of it. Um, and why do we care about our boredom? Because of self-concern. Because we're so concerned that we're entertained. It's so important to us that we're entertained and that we're happy in this moment, that we're, 
you know, that something is, is sparking our interest. And we're also careless. We're not thinking about others. You know, that's just, again, just, I want to be entertained. This is boring. Who cares? Um, and even I think sometimes pride is part of it. I think a lot of times people think like, you know, kind of a my shit don't stink kind of mentality. Um, it's, I mean, really, I think about this. I, I use public, I use a public bathroom at work all the time. And I just, every time I see someone go in and like, you know when you're in a public bathroom and someone goes in and you know that they pooped and <laughs> they don't wash their hands. Like, I think everyone has experienced this where you're like, really? They're just going to walk out? Like, <laughs> and like, you would be so grossed out. Like, aren't you grossed out about that, thinking that? Like, if you think that maybe someone in this room did that right now and you're going to say hi to them after this, wouldn't you be grossed out thinking that like, oh my gosh, I would not want to touch this person's hands. I'd be really grossed out by them. How could they be so rude and disrespectful to others that they would just be like touching things with, you know... There's stuff, or like if someone, you know, pick your nose and you like you don't wash your hands afterwards, and it's like I don't want to touch your hand. That's gross. But then we do it, and we don't find our stuff as gross. <laughs> we think it's fine. Oh, we'll just rinse my hands and leave. Sure, no problem. <laughs> it's we don't we really think that like our somehow like our poop must smell like roses. You know, it's really like my my issues. They're you know my diseases, my germs, my bacteria, whatever, it's not as gross as your germs are. <laughs> and so we don't, we're always so attached to our bacteria. Like, are, you, are we really that attached to the bacteria that we've picked up that we don't want to wash it off? Some extreme attachment. <laughs> and are we so important that like, the phone call or the meeting or the television show, are we so important that we can't be missed for an additional 10 seconds? You know, you have like your phone, the other day I was washing my hands, my phone rang. I just waited. It's okay, I can call them back. It's 20 seconds later, I can call them back. It's okay. I'm not that important. Whatever they have to say is not that important. They can wait 20 seconds. We can, we can have a moment of thinking of others, being considerate of the way that we are interacting in a world that other people live in and that we have the ability to help them or to harm them. So we have to take responsibility for our body, our speech, and our mind to make sure that whatever we do with our conduct is something that is going to help others and not hurt them. And we can afford 20 seconds of taking responsibility in order to do that. I think another reason why we avoid washing our hands is hope and fear. So we, we hope we don't get sick, and we like to just kind of stay there, hoping we don't get sick. That won't affect me, you know. That's, you just want to stay there. You don't want to actually think of the, it could affect me. It very well could. <clears throat> and fear... We, we like to stay in that hope. I hope I won't get sick. We like staying there because then if we don't stay there, we'll swing to the other side of the spectrum into fear. And we, we are so afraid of contemplating the fragility of our own bodies, of contemplating our own susceptibility to disease, of contemplating the fragility of the bodies of those we love and their susceptibility to disease. We don't want to think about that. We don't want to think that, you know, I, I don't want to think that I could contract something right now or that, you know, right now as we speak, right now I could have cancer in my body and not know it. That is possible. I could have the causes for death accumulating in my body at this moment and not have any idea. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think that death could come any day. That's an uncomfortable thought. I don't want to think that there are myriad illnesses in the world that I could contract that would make me very um, unhappy. I would have a, a you know, it feels awful to be sick. You don't want to think about that possibility. Um, how gross you are when you're sick. You know, it like really hurts your pride to be so gross when you're sick. You don't want to think about that. You want to think about yourself as being like healthy and strong and beautiful and you have this particular image of yourself and, and this attachment to your body and the way that it is. And we don't want to contemplate that this can change. This can change at any minute. 
for any one of us and for anyone we love. This can change at any minute. And that's a really uncomfortable thought. And I think, you know, connecting those dots of it's flu season or there's a virus going around. I should wash my hands. The reason why I should wash my hands is because my body and other bo others' bodies are fragile and frail and this could take, this could hurt them, you know? And it's like, you don't want to connect those dots because then you have to think about death. You have to think about the fact that you are not invincible. You're not permanent. So this, uh, so washing our hands can actually be a really great practice. You can do a lot with the practice of washing your hands. Um, if you know the Vajrasattva mantra, you can say the Vajrasattva mantra while you wash your hands. If you say it slowly, it's the perfect 20 seconds. Um, so that's a, that's a really nice thing to do. The Vajrasattva is... Um, the Vajrasapa mantra is a mantra of purification. So it matches, you know, purifying our hands. We can say the mantra Vajrasapa, purify our minds at the same time, purify our speech by saying it aloud. Body, speech, mind, short little 20 second purification practice. Why not? We get lots of practice of uh, mindfulness of what we're touching and not touching, you know, not touching your face. That's a fun practice. Um, something I've noticed, the reason why the I've started thinking of the world as being made of raw chicken is because I noticed that um, when I'm cooking, and I'm cooking with raw chicken, I do not have a problem with noticing, like, like with not touching my face or not touching things. I'm very aware that salmonella is dangerous. And so I am totally aware of everything on the counter that has touched the chicken juice, right? Like you are aware, you know, you're like, oh, I use those scissors, put them in the sink. You, you know everything you've touched. And it's because the, you understand the peril there. You understand that this is something that can harm you, that can harm others. And so you, you have vigilance. And you are, you know, you're focused. You're actually, like, you've connected the dots that you need to pay attention to this, and so you do. But so often we don't realize that it's important to pay attention to our own conduct out in the world. Um, we don't really connect the dots with that, that we actually are having an impact with every single thing we do, we're having an impact on others. And we don't really connect those dots, we're just self-concerned with the impact on me, you know, how is this impacting me? Um, we, don't have that, we don't have that same sense of vigilance all the time that we do um, when we're cooking with raw meats. So, so that's why I started. I was like, well, if I can remember this, if I'm cooking with raw chicken, then I'm just going to like kind of use that and just, um, just try to use that to help myself remember, um, remember what I'm touching and paying attention to that. Of Like, what am I, did I just pick my nose and touch something? Okay, I should clean that up. I should be aware of how I am affecting others, how I am affecting the world. So what else can we do when we are washing our hands? We can use washing our hands as a reminder of the four thoughts. It's a great opportunity to contemplate the four thoughts. The four thoughts are, the first of the four thoughts is um, contemplating the preciousness of our human birth and the difficulty of obtaining it. So it's very difficult to obtain this human birth. Um, we've been reborn again and 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 again since time out of mind. And this one time, we're human. It's very unlikely that we will ever be human again just because the, the causes, we create the causes that lead to our, our next birth. Um, whatever we were born as is, caught, is uh, the result of whatever karma we've created. And because we mostly create negative karma, it's unlikely that we're going to see another human birth. It's unlikely that we've had one in the past either since we've mostly created negative karma. Um, <clears throat> so we've managed to somehow gather up all this, all this virtue this one time and just make a slam dunk and just and get this human life. And it's so important then that we don't waste it. We have this precious opportunity 
in this life, the reason why this life is precious is because it gives us the opportunity to practice the Dharma. And the Dharma awakens us to truth so that we can not just satisfy our temporary desires, not just experience temporary happiness, but we can actually achieve ultimate happiness for ourselves and others by practicing the Dharma. So it's a rare opportunity that we can, uh, that we have this human life and we can use this human life to create the causes that will lead to another human life that will lead to more opportunities in the future, that we can work with our minds, work to stabilize our minds, work to um, create compassion in our minds. This is an incredible opportunity that we have in this life. So we have to protect it. We have to protect this life because it's a, it's a very rare and precious opportunity. So to protect this life, we should wash our hands. And do we protect this life just because it's good for us to have our lives protected? No. The reason why this life is so precious is because we can use this life not just for our own temporary happiness, but again, in order to benefit others. This life is so precious because we have the opportunity to learn how to benefit others and how to become someone who, who does benefit others. We can learn how to actually be benefiting others in every moment. So we have to protect this opportunity um, so that we can be helpful to others. And then one of the ways you protect this opportunity is, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. So we have this precious human rebirth, so we have to make sure that we protect our own lives. We can also respect the human births of others and protect them. We can contemplate impermanence. The second one of the four thoughts is impermanence. So we can contemplate death, the impermanence of life. We can contemplate the impermanence of uh, our good health. Um, our good health comes and goes. We get colds, we get flus, we get cancer, we get MS. We could get, like, there's so many things you can get. Your good health can, can disappear in an instant. Um, so we can... So we can use this time, so washing our hands can remind us of that, of the, the frailty of our bodies, the impermanence of our bodies, the impermanence of our good health. Um, you can even contemplate the impermanence of the cleanliness of your hands. That's a great, you know, you just, you washed your hands and then you touched the doorknob on the way out of the bathroom. <laughs> Impermanent. <laughs> Didn't last. <laughs> you washed your hands and then you sneezed on them. Impermanent, didn't last, got to go wash them again. So <clears throat> we can also contemplate the third thought, which is the, the faults of samsara or the flaws of samsara. So samsara or the, the wheel of cyclic existence is this world that we live in, it's this, this existence that we're in. Um, it's all of the realms, it encompasses all of the realms of suffering all the, the, six, the six realms. And we practice the Dharma to get out of samsara, out of cyclic existence. It's called cyclic existence because we go around and around and around in it. We live our lives, you accumulate all of this, all of this karma, all of this cause and effect, mostly negative, and then that propels us into our next life where we create more causes that, that decide our next life, and it just keeps going. You just keep going, spinning around, spinning around, spinning around in this cycle, um, like a bee trapped in a jar, just stuck in it. And so the Dharma helps us open the lid to that jar and get out, and finally attain lasting happiness, and help others get out of the jar too, so they can have lasting happiness. So it's important to contemplate the faults of samsara, all of the problems with being stuck in this jar, so that we know that we want to get out of the jar. Otherwise, we'll just make ourselves cozy in this jar and die there. Um, we'll be dead in the jar. So who then gets reborn and spins around more and dies and gets reborn and spins around more, you know? So, um, so the faults of samsara come up with washing your hands because samsara's got disease, like these viruses. That's a fault of samsara. That's not, that's not lasting happiness. Um, 
Faults of samsara include the, the fragility of this life. That's a fault of samsara. That doesn't seem uh, like something that we want. Um, the impermanence, the fact that you, you wash your hands, they just get dirty again and again and again. That's a fault of samsara. You know, this is, this is a dirty world of viruses and dirt. And, you know, we're constantly, and we're, we're pretty gross beings when you think about it. Like, we're, our bodies are pretty disgusting. Like, they're filled with blood and pus, and we sweat, and we poop, and, we do, and we've got, you know, it's just they're pretty disgusting. Um, and, you know, that's a fault of samsara, too. This is, this is not what we want to get attached to. It is what we're attached to. But Why? Why are we so attached to these bags of blood and pus that we live in? Um, so we can contemplate that. We can contemplate the faults of samsara and these reminders that this is an imperfect world. This is not a world that we want to be staying in. We would like to learn how to get out of samsara by practicing the Dharma. Good thing we have this human life where we can do that. Again, like it just kind of the four thoughts, they all connect. And, and you can just think about all of these while you wash your hands. And the fourth uh, contemplation with the, the four thoughts is karma. You know, this cause and effect that we create keeps us perpetuating um, these lives in cyclic existence. We create causes that will just lead to more suffering for ourselves and others. And we stay trapped here. So while we're washing our hands, we can be creating the causes of protecting life. You know, it's one of the main tenets of Buddhism is not to kill or harm others, and instead to protect life. So we're doing that when we wash our hands. We are seeking to, to not harm others. I don't want to be passing along some, some flu or virus to anyone else. I don't want to be harming you by spreading that along. Um, and... You know, so we can be so we can be protecting our uh, we can be protecting our own lives and, and out of appreciation for our precious human birth, and we can protect the lives of others instead of instead of spreading our own illness that will shorten their lives. And in doing that, we'll create the causes for having a longer lives or a longer life ourselves, and um, and by keeping others, you know, holding others in our compassion in that way, that creates. Uh, virtue as well and positive causes. So we can also make wishing prayers for all beings to be free of illness and the causes of illness. So when we're washing our hands, you can maybe you say the Vajrasapa mantra while you say it, or maybe you just contemplate the four thoughts while you, while you wash your hands. Um, and then when you're done washing your hands, you can make wishing prayers that, you know, by doing this, by having washed my hands, may all beings uh, be cleansed of their karmic obscurations, be cleansed of all causes of disease, and um, may all beings be free of illness and the causes of illness. May all beings be happy and healthy. We can create wishing prayers like this every time we wash our hands, too. So since, since we're supposed to be washing our hands like it's like, you know, pretty much before and after every activity. Um, this gives you lots of time in your day to contemplate the Dharma and to contemplate the four thoughts, which is really great. It's a really great opportunity that we have that, that we have right now. Um, and I think also when we, when we have this compassion, when we remember that Washing our hands is not just about ourselves, but it's about what we're putting out in the world. It's about what's our impact on others and, and caring for others. How can I care for others around me? How can I protect them? How can I help them be healthy? How can I, how can I help them be happy and well? You know, when we're thinking like that, it's a lot easier to last for the full 20 seconds of washing your hands than it is when you're just thinking about yourself, you know? 
if you've ever like prepared a meal for someone, you know, you may notice that. Maybe when you cook dinner for yourself, maybe you're a little bit lazy or you just kind of like heat up some food and wash your hands first. Maybe when you cook dinner for others, you're more mindful of that. And you think like, oh, I have to make sure I'm making food for a potluck or something. I got to wash my hands really well because this is going into others' mouths and I have to be careful of that. And a lot of times we just have, we have more vigilance when, when we're considering others. Um, so it's really important that we, that we do that, that we really create a foundation of compassion in ourselves so that we, we help others and we don't harm them. So, and like I said earlier, you know, practicing meditation creates the space in our minds for that foundation of compassion. So it's important also that we stabilize our minds. It helps us to um, transcend hope and fear the bodhicitta, the, the mind of enlightenment, is beyond hope and fear. And so when we, when we meditate and we're able to not be perpetuating that habit of hope and fear by reacting to our every thought and grabbing it or rejecting any thought, you know, that just perpetuates hope and fear. Um, and when we meditate and we don't engage those thoughts, it lessens that habit. And then we're able to, to have some more space in our minds that allows compassion to arise and then we can actually benefit others and lead a fulfilling life. So it's also, it's, it's important to contemplate the four thoughts um, for meditation also. Um, because without meditating the four thoughts, we won't meditate correctly. And if you, if you don't contemplate the four thoughts, then it becomes very easy to just meditate because it'll make you feel good. Um, the contemplating the four thoughts um, and having that, that motivation of meditating to stabilize your mind so that you can give rise to compassion, meditating so that you can um, calm the turbulent emotions of your mind, so that you can practice the Dharma, like these kinds of beneficial motivations, it actually changes the, the nature of your meditation. And so that motivation is so important. Motivation is like when you're, when you're shooting an arrow, you know, just like being a hair off at the point, you know, at the point where you're, you're holding that bow, if you're just like a hair to the left, but your arrow flies far, it's going to miss the target by like a thousand feet. But you're only like a hair off, right? But once that arrow hits its mark, it's, I mean, or it, does, it doesn't hit the mark. It goes way off because it expands. So that's our motivation has to be really well targeted. We have to have a really on-the-mark motivation so that we can actually direct our energy and our actions in the correct direction. Just being off a little bit sends it in a totally different direction. So it's important that when we meditate, we, um, we bring that forethoughts contemplation to our, our meditation, that we, we establish a, a motivation of you know, wanting to tame our own minds so that we can help others, so we can attain enlightenment, we can come to understand the truth and and then help others reach that same understanding. This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org.